Have any of you ever wondered whether you were truly loved? Maybe it was uh, when you were a child, perhaps from your mother and father, maybe they weren't really the best at communicating their love to you. Maybe it was when you were a teenager, when you wanted um, a relationship with an individual, or maybe you went through a breakup. Maybe it wasn't even when you were a teenager. Maybe it was during a time when an individual whom you were married to was unfaithful to you. Perhaps it had nothing to do with relationships. I've unfortunately attended many funerals, often preaching at those funerals. Some are well attended. Others are not. I recently preached at my uncle's funeral where there were several hundred people who showed up to celebrate his life. Unfortunately, not all funerals are like that. I preached one funeral where only four people showed up for the funeral. The son-in-law claimed that she was the most miserable woman he had ever met. In his own words, he was glad that she was dead. Perhaps I'm the only one to ever ask this question, but the question arises in my mind, do people really love me? Do they love me for the position that I hold or do they love me for the person that I am? Do people love me as a friend or a brother, as a family member, or do they love me for what I can do for them? Another question arises that is similar but carries even greater implications is, Does God really love me? Now, I know maybe I'm the only one who ever asked these questions, but the reality is, I think many of us probably have thought to ourselves, am I really loved? In the book of Ruth, we read the story of a woman named Naomi. Her story is primarily found in chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there already, you can. Ruth chapter 1. She is a wife. She is a mother. But she is also a woman who is very familiar with incredible tragedy and loss. Initially, her husband dies, leaving her with two sons. Then those two sons grow up and they get married, but they also die. Let me first say that a mother should never have to outlive her children. Such heartache can change a person. A person who was once filled with incredible joy and happiness can suddenly be blinded by bitterness and unrest. Individuals who once thanked God for his continued blessing and provision can become angry and even despondent toward God. And in those moments, we may question, does God really love us? Listen to the story of Naomi. As she has journeyed through death, she has just sent one daughter-in-law back to her family, and she is attempting to send Ruth, her other daughter-in-law, home. Naomi simply wants to return to her own home and sulk in her misery. Look at it beginning in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, I'll tell you the truth, this is a very ugly passage. When you begin to look at it, it looks like a passage that nobody would even want to spend time in. But I want you to know there's incredible beauty that is here. There are at least three relationships that are important that identify an incredible kind of love that is available. And sometimes it may be hard to understand that love. It may be hard to recognize that love when you are blinded by some of the difficult things that clearly Naomi was experiencing. The first example of this is found in the relationship between Naomi and Ruth. Remember that Ruth is the daughter-in-law to Naomi. Yet Ruth no longer has any obligation to Naomi. Her husband, Naomi's son, has died. Now, culturally speaking, there was a plan of action to take care of Ruth moving forward. When her husband died, typically the next brother in the family line would take her to be his own wife. But he's dead too. So what is there to do for Naomi? Naomi realizes that She has nothing to offer Ruth. She has no more sons. She could possibly get remarried and maybe have another child somewhere along the way. And perhaps that next son might be able to rise up and be the husband for Ruth. But the reality is we're not talking about next week. We're talking about many years that will pass before that opportunity would come that way. So what can Naomi offer to Ruth? She offers her daughter-in-laws the right to go home and to start over with a new family. I cannot think of a woman more broken than we see here in Naomi at this point in her life. I also cannot think of a woman more in need of someone to love her. She finds that love in her daughter-in-law. Ruth declares to her that she truly doesn't want to go home. She has made her decision and she is sticking with it. She says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. In other words, I'm not going back because I love you too much. What I really want you to see here is that Ruth has nothing to gain by staying with Naomi. But she chooses to stay anyways. She doesn't love her because of what she can get from her. Because the fact is she can't get anything. The odds are financially, Naomi doesn't have a whole lot. Her husband's already been dead. Who's going to provide for them? The sons are gone. It's not as if she's going to be financially wealthy. Ruth isn't staying because of what Naomi can give. Naomi can't give her a husband. In fact, the odds are she probably will not be able to have any sons during Ruth's really her childbearing years. So why would Ruth want to stay with Naomi? It is simply because she loved Naomi so much. Who loves you like that? Whom do you love 
not because of what they can do for you or because of what they have done for you in the past. I mean, whom do you simply love because of who they are? My first thought with answering this question is in the relationship between a mother and her child. We love our kids not for what they can do for us because the reality is when they're really small, they can't do a whole lot other than make us smile. We love them because God gave them to us. But are there other loving relationships like that in your life? What if the person you love makes a foolish choice? What if they get arrested? What if they hurt someone else? Do you still love them unconditionally the way Ruth loves Naomi? I know that you're all familiar with the story of the prodigal son. It's a beautiful image of a young man who was filled with great arrogance and pride. He sought the opportunity to go sow his wild oats. So he goes to his father and he says, Father, I would like for you to give me my inheritance now. Now, dad's not dead, so the, the mere fact that he's asking for this inheritance now is a little bit presumptuous. The father would rather have the son stay because he loves his son very much, but the father, with incredible grace, chooses to give his son the inheritance. The son goes off and he spends a great deal of time spending everything that he has received. We're not told all the things that he does. The it really doesn't matter the things he does with the money that he receives. What matters is this young man goes off and he wastes everything. He likely spent it on alcohol, likely spent it on women, likely spent it on partying, likely spent it on all sorts of things that simply do not last. It is likely that he had many friends during his time of wild living. But the reality was that the time came that he would run out. When he runs out, he finds himself so broken that he has absolutely nothing, not even enough to eat. He finds himself working to take care of pigs, and in order to satisfy his hunger, he begins to eat the food that is tended for pigs. Tell you the truth, I think I'd rather go hungry. Maybe he thought the same thing, but he reached a point of such desperation that he began to eat the very same food that was intended for the pigs. And suddenly he comes to the realization, if I were working for my father, he treats his servants much better than this guy treats me. Maybe I could go back to my father, not so that he would take me back in. I've already blown it. I've already made the worst decisions possible. I've wasted everything that God, that my father had given to me. So in his brokenness, he says, maybe I could go back not as his son, but maybe he would hire me and let me work for him. Then I would be treated better. So he begins what's known as the walk of shame, tucks his head down and begins to walk each step, realizing he's getting closer to having to admit his own personal failures as he gets close to home. I'm sure he saw landmarks. I remember when I, I lived in Virginia growing up, when I would go home for vacation, for spring break or for whatever it was, there were certain landmarks. When I passed those landmarks, I knew I was getting close to home and a sense of excitement would come over me. Well, in this case, it wasn't as if there was excitement, but rather almost a sense of dread. 
can't believe I have to face my father knowing that I have wasted everything he gave. As he crests the hill, he sees the workers in his father's fields. And he sees what appears to be his father. Almost, I picture the father sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair telling everybody else what to do. And the father looks out and he sees the sun coming over the horizon. And out of the silhouette, not able to make out his face just yet, the father knows, that's my boy. Imagine the emotions that went through that young man's mind as he is coming home filled with such regret because of the foolishness that he's done. The fear. What if dad rejects me? What if dad says, you know, you've blown it. Stay away. Go somewhere else. But that's not what the father does. Instead, the father recognizes his son. And at that point, the father leaps to his feet and he runs. He runs to his son. He embraces his son. You know, that son could have done anything in the world and that father's love still would have been there. That young man, there's nothing he could do to make that father's life more complete. But here this father rejoices. He says, this son who was dead, now he is alive. That father simply loved his boy. The story is told by Ernest Hemingway of a father and his teenage son who had a relationship that had become strained to the point of breaking. Finally, the son ran away from his home. His father, however, began a journey in search of this rebellious son. Finally, in Madrid, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in the newspaper. The ad simply said this, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day at noon in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. The reality is all of us want to be loved unconditionally, but many of us have carried so much baggage because of poor choices that we've made somewhere along the way, and we question whether that love is really even available to us. As a youth pastor, I worked with so many young people who seemed to be trying so hard to earn the love of other people. Sometimes it was based on their physical beauty. They had to look a certain way. And if they didn't look that way, then maybe people wouldn't love them. Sometimes they'd be willing to do certain things that maybe they weren't really comfortable with. But in order to get people to love them, they would do it. You know, I thought that when I stopped doing youth ministry, when I moved to the big church with the adults and everything, I thought that that would end. But, you know, it's not true. You see, far too many adults still are striving to earn the love of others. I want you to know today that you have, first of all, a God who loves you more than life itself. It is not dependent on your performance. It's not dependent on how good you are, or how intelligent you are. It is simply dependent on the fact that He made you and He loves you the way you are. Let me encourage you to offer that kind of love to other people. There are people in your life, some of them sitting right beside you right now, who simply need to know that someone still loves them. 
They'll make foolish choices along the way. We know that because, well, all of us have. Yet we want to be loved in the same way. Let me challenge you to offer that kind of love to the people in your life. Moving back to our passage in Ruth, we see a second relationship that seems more general, but it's still incredibly important. It's the relationship between Naomi and Bethlehem. We're told that as Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, that the whole town was stirred because of her arrival. They questioned, can this be Naomi who has come home? Now we all know what it's like to have people talk about us. And when we first hear this, our first thought is that they probably had bad things to say about her. But it's not necessarily the case. Maybe there was a sense of sorrow. Maybe rumors had gotten out about what had taken place, about her husband dying and then even both of her sons dying. And maybe there's a sense of sorrow and remorse, almost pity for her. Maybe they loved her so much that they were glad to see her. Maybe there was a sense of remembering this child who was filled with such Beauty and grace, someone who loved everybody, who was very pleasant to everyone she came in contact with. And maybe for them, they look and they see the brokenness that's that's present, and perhaps their heart is broken. Maybe it's excitement, maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe it's a balance of excitement and grief among the people of Bethlehem. They loved her. They were glad to see her, but they also, their hearts were broken for her. It's one of the advantages of coming home. She could be loved on by the people who had known her for so long. Have you ever been broken and you needed a community to simply love on you? In your brokenness, feeling like no one really cared and all of a sudden to be surrounded by those who could simply love on you. Perhaps it involved the death of a spouse or maybe a child. Perhaps it was an unexpected illness or the consequences of your own foolish lifestyle choices. Know that within the body of Christ, there ought to always be grace and love to those who are hurting. You should know that when you fail, when you hurt, the body of Christ should be there for you. And when others fail, when others hurt, you must be the ones to love on them. You see, this relationship between Naomi and Bethlehem is so beautiful in that here she is. First of all, it's already been established. She has someone else who's going to be with her. Ruth has agreed she's going to walk with her. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. She will not have to face this alone. But here they arrive in Bethlehem and the people immediately... They have a reason to love on her because they know her and care for her. But in addition, they hurt for her too. We as the body of Christ ought to love on those who are hurting around us. You know what's much easier for us to do is to point the finger at people who have bad things happen. Maybe kick them just a little bit while they're down. Maybe they've made some poor choice somewhere along the way. And it's so easy for us to just look and say, yeah, that's what I expected from them. It's so easy for us to identify things that are bad in their life, not realizing that but for the grace of God, that's me. 
Every single one of us has fallen short of God's glory. And instead of offering rebuke, sometimes the first thing we ought to be doing is offering love to those around us. Sometimes the sorrow that they face is not something that they brought upon themselves. But in our arrogance and ignorance, sometimes I think we almost still put ourselves on a pedestal above them. They're still getting what they deserve. At least that's the thought that goes through our minds. When in reality, what they truly need is the love of Jesus Christ, us being the hands and feet of Christ, going to them and showing them the love that they desperately need. It is at this point in our passage that we see Naomi change her name. The name Naomi would be translated pleasant, but pleasant would not be a great way to describe her heart at this point. She is broken. She is hurting. And she could even be described as bitter. And that's the name that she takes. The name Mara would be translated as bitterness. You know, in the midst of our bitterness, she, in, her, in the midst of her bitterness, she sought out a place and a people who would show her incredible love. She could have stayed where she was, but you know what? It's not her home. She went to a place where she could be shown great love. She found it in the people of Bethlehem. But it wasn't as if the bitterness simply disappeared. She still was bitter. She still went away full and came back empty. But now she was in a place where she would be able to find healing. This brings us to the final relationship that is portrayed in this message. It is the relationship between Naomi and God. This is a difficult one. At the beginning of our passage, Ruth says, Your God will be my God. Indicating that God is still very much a part of Naomi's life. Yet at the end of the passage, there seems to be a lot of blaming of God. She says, The Almighty God has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. This sounds like someone who's very angry toward God. So what does her relationship with God look like here? Is he still her God? Or does that somehow change since she has had to walk a very difficult path? Let me suggest that the bitterness is still very real and even reasonable as she's been through an incredible ordeal. You know, it's okay for us to become angry with God. You know, it's okay for us during our times of brokenness to express our frustration to Him. But understand this, as big as His shoulders are, He is like that father of the prodigal son. He knows the hurt that's there. He knows the brokenness. And instead of becoming angry in response, he opens his arms and he says, but I love you. Yes, she is a broken individual. Romans 8.38 tells us that nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know by now that life doesn't always work out the way we want or plan. And sometimes life can just flat out stink. But the good news is that God is still good in all of these things. 
His love for you is a constant. And although we sometimes want to blame God in the midst of our suffering, He is like that Father who simply says, but I love you. You, you know one of the big difference, differences between us and God? When somebody becomes angry with us, whether it's justified or unjustified, they begin to express their anger, and we have this natural tendency to want to lash out at them, to respond with anger back toward them, almost with this idea that I need to justify who I am. God has no reason to justify who he is, for he is still God. And he loves us. And instead of responding with anger, he responds with love and grace. But I also realize that it doesn't always make sense. If God truly loves me and longs to bless me, then why would he allow these things to happen? In answer to that question, my mind goes back to a passage that's found in Genesis chapter 22. It's a story, a story about sacrifice and love. It's a story about trust and promised blessing. Probably most of us are somewhat familiar with the passage. It's the story of Abraham. God had promised to Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. He promised him that his descendants would be far too many to even count, more numerous than even the stars in heaven. And God made that promise, and then it seemed as if that promise was forgotten. Many years would pass and uh, Abraham and his wife Sarah were unable to bear children. And certainly for Abraham, the idea that he would have so many great children, probably he began to question himself. Was that really God speaking or was that just me wishing? Maybe he questioned whether the God that he heard was really all powerful after all. Well, years would pass, and eventually, at the age of 100, Abraham would become the father of Isaac. Isaac was a young man, a healthy man, and here Abraham, 100 years old, he's finally seeing his dream fulfilled. I know it's only one kid, but you know what? That kid could have 20 kids, and that, those kids could have, man, he could really have descendants, so many that you can't count them. But then God does something crazy. In Genesis chapter 22, God calls Abraham to take his son and to offer him as a sacrifice on an altar. I don't know about you, but that probably wasn't the plan Abraham had drawn up for Isaac. Remember, God took years to be able to fulfill the promise initially to have a descendant, and now you're telling me you want my son to be killed? Abraham tells Isaac, gather the wood, let's go, we're going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. They begin this journey, and as they begin this journey, Isaac even asks his father, hey, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where is the sacrifice? Where is the animal? Abraham's response, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. They continue the journey. They finally reach the point where here they are, they're going to make this sacrifice and they begin to build up an altar and then they begin to set everything in place and the mere picture of this is overwhelming. How did Isaac respond when his father began to bind him up and to place him on the altar? Dad, what are you doing? 
Dad, um, are you really going to do this? And Abraham, as his heart broke through this entire thing, thinking to himself, God, you have given me this as a fulfillment of your promise, yet here you are, you're going to take it away. Abraham reaches with the knife, and as he reaches with the knife, he hears a voice calling out, Abraham, do not kill your son. He looks over and he sees a ram that is caught in the thicket, and suddenly a sense of relief comes over Abraham. You know, I look at this, and by the way, never again in Scripture do we see after this where Isaac actually has a conversation with his father. It's just a, one of those odd things. It just doesn't say it anymore. Uh, I don't know what that conversation was like when he went back home and Sarah says, so how was your trip? I, I don't know what that would have been like, but I will guarantee you there was, there was some really difficult conversations that followed. Within this story, though, there is incredible love that is displayed. First of all, know this, Abraham made the right choice because he trusted God. I don't want any of you sacrificing your children this week saying, well, God, I trusted God, it was okay. Abraham trusted God because he knew that he was a God who had always been faithful. The situation didn't make sense and it frustrated him. And sure, there was a sense of anger. God, how could you allow this to be your plan? You promised blessing and love and grace. How could you let this happen? Yet he trusted that the same God who was sovereign and promised this blessing that he would provide again. It is said that among the Jewish people that there was a belief that the same God who created man, who began life by speaking life into them, by breathing into them, that that same God had the power to restore life. So maybe Abraham is looking with this idea that if I take the life of my son, my God is still able to restore his life. And certainly there's some merit in there, but how devastating must this have been for Abraham? Yet he trusted God because he knew that God loved him more than anything Abraham could ever understand. Let me suggest that the greatest image of love here is not really what happens with Isaac, but rather what it foretells for us. You see, the time would come when God would send his son as a sacrifice for you and for me. And he would lay down his life so that we could have life eternal. Truly, it doesn't make sense that Jesus would have to die for you and me. The fact is that I'm probably least deserving of such a sacrifice. Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners because he knew the role that he had played. But do you know Jesus died for him too? Again, it may not make much sense, but it's how much he loves us. I want everyone in this room to know today that God loves you more than anything you could ever imagine. He knew all the things that you would do. He knew the poor choices that you would make. He knew the hardship that you would have to walk through. And he said all along, I love you. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved you. All the baggage that you bring, he says, I still love you. All the poor choices that you will make even today and tomorrow and 10 years down there, however long it is, he said, I still love you. If you get one thing out of today's message, know this, God loves you more than you could ever imagine. You are never alone. You never have to feel like you've been betrayed for you have a God who genuinely loves you enough he would give everything for you. I've often shared that God's love for me and you is far more than anything that I've ever been able to extend. God sent his son in to die so that you would live. Now, I love everyone in this room. Don't get me wrong. But if this building were burning down, I'm not sending my son in to rescue all of you. My goal is to get him out. I want to get my son out so that he can live. Yet God chooses the other way around. He sees death. He says, I'll send my son in to fix the problem, to bring life. Know that God loves you that much.